Get ready for winter driving at Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers with super deals on tires, including up to $200 on new Goodyear tires, plus oil changes, brakes, batteries, and more. For value and savings, click on gotodobbs.com today. The Danny Mac Show with BK Podcast, powered by I Promise. Now, here's Danny Mac with BK. Newt Bar, a drive, right center, he's done it again! Wow! Newt! Newt Bar, into right, back to back! Into the St. Louis bullpen! Shift on the right side, and a high fly ball out to right, Newt Bar back... Welcome into the show. Some of the uh, highlights from Lars Newtbar here recently playing every day for the St. Louis Cardinals. Detroit in town after the off night yesterday. That's BK. I'm Danny Mack, and this is the Danny Mack Show on 101 ESPN. Hey, Summers Dan, Wealth Management. You... Hold on. We got to say it. Summers Wealth Management is presenting this fine program. BK, what do you got? Dan, it's good to see you this morning. You if too, I, buddy. I, I'm just so excited to talk about Lars Newpar. I couldn't even hold back. I get it. If I told you in like May that we would be opening a show right. in August. I was just thinking that listening to all that. By talking about Lars Newtbar, what would you have said at that particular point in time? Well, I would have said that uh, I liked him in spring training because I saw a lot of him in spring training in the games we did, and probably somebody's hurt. That's what I would have said. Um, well, and, you would have been right. And congratulations that, you know, he did well enough to, you know, make an impact on the big league club. So that's probably what I would have said. Also, in August, that means they didn't go out and get anybody, and, and they like what they've got in the outfield. That's probably what I've looked at. Uh, probably would have said maybe you're not in first place. And this is no disrespect to Lars Newbar, but, you know, you're giving a young guy a shot, and that's what you got. He's He's got 60 at-bats so far, and so in the major leagues. He's played in 26 games. 68 plate appearances, 60 at-bats. He scored eight runs, 16 hits. He's got three home runs. He's driven in nine. On-base percentage of 338. Take that. Uh, OPS, 822. And he's been fine in the outfield. Now, he, he did hurt you the other day. But the, the thing I'm seeing right now is, number one, he provides a little bit of a spark, some energy, which I like. I think Sosa does the same thing. Um, pitch recognition has been really good. If you watch him... He doesn't chase a lot. Now, I talked to some people that uh, watched him in the minor leagues, and they said, yep, that's kind of his M.O. Pitch recognition is really good. I thought it was interesting over the weekend with a lefty starter, he's getting the starts. And so now you get to find out how he is against a lefty. And you had other options. You could have put Rondon out there. You could have put Dean out there against a lefty. They went with him. That's some confidence in him. And I thought his at-bats against lefties were good. So now you have O'Neill. Bader, Carlson, Carlson eligible, I believe, to come off either today or tomorrow. 
Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, no, I, I think that's where they're at. I don't know that they will activate him today yeah. or tomorrow. I think we're probably going to be waiting until the Pirates series for them to get him back to full health, especially with the way that Lars Newbar has been playing. I think that allows them the sure. benefit of time. But yeah, I think officially he is eligible today. So the question becomes, how much does he play when you have the potential of four guys healthy and available? And you know what? Playing time is dictated by performance a lot of times. Um, and I think you also want to ease Carlson back in if that wrist is problematic. So we'll see how it plays out with Detroit in town tonight. Yeah, I think another thing to keep in mind is over the next six games, you have four lefty starters on the mound. So tonight it's a righty on the mound for the Tigers last I checked. And then the next four games for the Cardinals are all against left-handed pitching. So if they are able to get Carlson back at any point in that stretch, I would imagine they go with their normal outfield. They'll go with Carlson in right, Bader in center, and O'Neal in left because Bader's been quite good in his career against left-handed pitching, so you would expect him to start in those matchups. When you get to the final game in that series against Pittsburgh, though, and you've got a righty back on the mound, that's when this really becomes a conversation to me. Do you then consider making the switch and going with Carlson in center and Newt Barr in right? Given the way that we've seen Bader play of late, I could kind of understand that kind of a decision. Bader just has not been good offensively of late. He was very good for about a month. That has his approach has really dissipated. It's regressed back to where we saw him at times a year ago. So I could see the understanding of why you'd go with Newbar out there for some opportunities, especially against right-handed pitching. My guess would be that uh, you write out Bader. Good, bad, ugly, indifferent, uh, whatever happens, because I think that they feel... Number one, he missed significant time earlier this season. And when he's right, the team is different. You know, I was asked yesterday on the fast lane, uh, what needs to happen with this team? Like Jamie Rivers, like, you know, they pull me back in and I'm, I'm back and forth, convince me that, you know, one way or another. And I said, you know, the starting pitching has been fine. Your bullpen has really settled down with Garcia and TJ McFarland. Yeah, you're going to have your blips here and there. But offensively, they've, they've got to find traction. You know, Arenado... Arnado had three hits on the on the uh, has three hits on on the homestand right now coming off a series with the Royals in which he drove in nine so he's gone cold Bader hasn't been hitting you know that's where you're not seeing the consistency within the offense and if they get that they're going to win games if they don't then you have what you've just had over the last six which is two and four that to me is the concern with this team going forward. Yeah, it's all about consistency for the team in general. That's been the case all season long. Uh, the other thing, Dan, is over the weekend, and this has not been an issue for them for basically since mid June. They really struggled with runners in scoring position. And part of this is Tyler O'Neill. I'm really curious to get your thoughts about this, Dan, because O'Neill, I saw this from Derek Gould in his chat yesterday. He has 16 hits on the season with runners in scoring position. He has just 34 with runners on in any capacity. Mm. He has 61 this year with the bases empty. And that is reflected in his batting average as well. He's batting under 200 with runners in scoring position this year, despite the fact that it, overall he's batting like 280 on the season. What do you make of that? Do you think that's just like fun with small samples? Or is there something to that in Tyler O'Neill's approach in your opinion? Uh, could be a little bit of both, you know. Um, I do like, though, what they're doing in this regard is flip-flopping and putting him in the middle. Totally agree. I like that. Um, and I want to see that play over, let's say, a 10 to 14 game period and see what happens. See how he's pitched. 
maybe it's it's because he's behind guys like Goldie Arenado. You have runners in scoring position, and does he expand a little bit more where at other times he doesn't? Because I, I do think he's made an adjustment on the, the pitch, middle, outer half, slider, breaking ball, where he was just pulling off everything. Um, and now if you've got protection behind him, it's a little different story. Yeah, because previously it was mostly Yadier Molina that was batting behind Correct. him. And listen, we all love Yadi. He takes a professional at bat, but that's just not the same quality of hitter as having Nolan Arenado batting behind you. Sure. And, and so maybe that's part of it. A uh, lot of his home runs have been hit to center, which I think is a good thing. So that means he's not just yanking it and pulling it. He does have, obviously, power to the opposite field. But if he's hitting it up the middle and hitting bombs that way, he hit one 450 feet the other day, he's staying on it. But maybe it's about where you're at in the lineup and how you're pitched. And let's see how this plays out now over the next 14 days. Somebody just said O'Neal to the leadoff at 314. I don't know. He's one of your highest on-base guys this year, so it's not crazy. I'd be intrigued with it. Why not? Shake it up. Remember when the Cubs went with Anthony Rizzo at the top of their lineup for that period of time? They're like, hey, listen, he's our best player. We're going to put him at the top of the lineup. This year, Tyler O'Neill's been one of your best hitters. I'm fine with it. Be kind of crazy, but I think it'd be... Sometimes I think it's kind of fun, and we've talked about this, especially in June. You walk in, you're the manager, and you literally just throw the guys in a hat and say, okay, here's the lineup. Sometimes you come to the ballpark, you see Tyler O'Neill at the top. Okay, then we'll put, uh, let's say, Goldschmidt second, Dylan Carlson third, Nolan Arnato fourth, um, just to shake it up. Yeah. Or Tyler O'Neill, uh, uh, Tommy Edmond, somewhere in, mixed in there, just to do something different. Sometimes that just catches fire and you just have a little fun with it and guys run. I mean, you run out of time anyway. Why not? Sure. Let's see what it looks like. I mean, the, the lineup in general just has not coalesced this year the way that we expected it to. Given the names that you have in there, you'd think, okay, this this has some real possibilities. There's some energy here. And it just never really worked out for whatever reason. We saw like a week of Arenado and Goldie really get hot at the same time. And then Nolan Arenado got cold again, and now you've got just Goldschmidt that's going really well. So By the way, Goldie's the having way, a really good year. He and is suddenly looking yeah. quite good. He looks like himself again. Exactly. Uh, start looking at those numbers. And this is a Nolan or, an, or a uh, Paul Goldschmidt type year and a really good one. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's been fine. I think he's one shy of 20 home runs. So he's going to wind up with over 20. He's going to drive in 80 to 90. He's going to get on base a lot. And he's going to hit close to 300. He he's around rough, 284, 285 right now. Average wise. First month of the season. And yep. since then, Danny's batting 300 with an OPS of 870. That's Paul Goldschmidt. Yeah. I mean, this version of Paul Goldschmidt, it's not what he was when he was 28 years old, but he's not in his prime anymore. This is the back end of that prime, and this is what you expected when you traded for him. He's going to be 80% of Paul Goldschmidt, and that's what you've got right now, and that's a perfectly fine player to have batting second, third, right in that middle of your order. Well, let's see. Uh, Flaherty tonight. Casey Mize going for Detroit. You got John Lester going tomorrow. By the way, it's going to be hot, man. Oh, yeah. 12-15 start and Lester on the mound who sweats anyway. <laughs> He's going to be sweating up a storm tomorrow, man. It's going to be hot. So you're going to have all hands on deck, I would think. Um, and then you go to Pittsburgh and then the schedule gets 
a lot harder, but a lot more fun. For me, at least, you get Cincinnati, you get Milwaukee on that road trip, but take care of business tonight, and you got Jack Flaherty trying to become a 10-game winner, so this, we'll see how it plays out. This is also not the same Tigers team that we talked about in the first yes, half of the season. They've been team. much better. They're getting a little healthier right now as well. I know they got somebody back off of the injured list earlier today. This is a solid baseball team. They're not good. It's not the same as going up against the Padres or um, the Brewers, something like that. No, but it's it's more similar to some of those middle of the pack types of teams that you could go up against. So it's going to be an interesting test to see if the Cardinals are able to put a couple of quality starts back to back. So the Cardinals are three and a half back of San Diego in the wild card, four and a half back of Cincinnati and the Phillies half game back of St. Louis and the Mets are now seven out in the wild card. Uh, it's been a tough go. They're two and a half back of St. Louis, so that kind of sets the stage for the standings in the wild card. Really looking forward to uh, visiting with Jim Leland, who has just been, um, you know, baseball lifer, remarkable guy, uh, managed the Pirates for so many years, and then took the Marlins to a championship one year with the Rockies, and then obviously managed uh, Detroit and had success with them, and worked as um a scout, if you want to call it that, special assistant to the uh, Cardinals, uh, to the GM for the Cardinals. So we'll we'll talk a little bit about that. Really good guy. Looking forward to visiting with Jim Leland. This is the Danny Mac Show with BK, the podcast powered by I Promise. I got to tell you, BK, back in the day, I was, if you love baseball, man, I was the luckiest guy in the world because, and it's Dan McLaughlin with Brandon Kiley, Danny Mac show on a uh, Tuesday as Detroit makes their way to St. Louis because Tony LaRusso would be sitting behind his desk and, you know, filling out a lineup card, answering fan mail, making out checks. That's what he did before a game. And Tony was always gracious with me coming in uh, and being able to ask him about a lineup. And then the Cardinals add this guy, Jim Leland. And Jim Leland be, has the title of scout or assistant to the GM, but he's in there. And those two going back and forth, and I'm like a fly on the wall mm-hmm. getting to do these games, still doing them today, love it. But back when we traveled, you know, having the chance to be in a dugout or in an office and listen to those guys talk baseball and two of the classiest guys in the game, and to me, Jim Leland, needs to get uh, a lot of consideration for Hall of Fame and for everything that he's done. And he's been kind enough to uh, join us here on 101 ESPN here in St. Louis. Hey, Jim, it's Dan McLaughlin. It's great to hear your voice, and, and thanks for hopping on. Really appreciate it. How you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing well. It's been too long. Uh, what are you up to these days? Well, I, I still work for the Tigers. I'm actually in Toledo right now. I'm going to look at the Mud Hens. <clears throat> That's our AAA team. We just brought... Uh, Riley Green and Spencer Torkelson and, and uh, a kid named Kreidler up uh, to AAA from AA. So I'm up here. I'm going to watch these guys the next couple of days and <clears throat> report to our general manager. I think Al Avila is actually going to be here tonight. So take a look at them firsthand. I still work for the Tigers and do a little bit of work for the commissioner as well. Do you miss managing? No, I don't really, to be honest with you. I, I miss the competition. I miss the players, but yeah, I don't miss the travel anymore. I'm 76 and you know, did it for a long time and loved every minute of it. But it was time turn it over to somebody else. And uh, I still watch every game. I love the game. But uh, as far as all the travel and everything, it got to be a little bit too much. Did you think Tony was crazy when he decided to come back and do this? 
No, because I knew it was going to happen. I could tell the way uh, that I talked to him the last few years. I could tell that he was antsy. He didn't like the way the game was going and everything. And, uh, you know, he said, you know, I can't complain about it. If I'm, I'm going to complain about it, I've got to go try to do something about it. So it really didn't surprise me at all when he came back. I'm assuming it's no surprise to you that he's got the White Sox in first place in the division now? No, they've got, they got a really nice team. And, of course, he's done a great job. And he's a... He's a nice combination of the of the of the old and the young, and and he, he puts it all together. He's a baseball guy, and he understands some of the modern technology that they're using in today's game and everything. But he's a baseball guy, and you know the key is to have good players, and they really have some good players. Jim, when uh, you were with uh, us here in St. Louis, you you saw Albert in his prime, and you managed Miguel Cabrera in his prime. He just picked up home run number five hundred. Uh, when you compare the two. How do you compare them? And and I don't want to say one's better than the other, but uh, when you look at those two, how do you how do you stack them up? Well, I think it's uh, I think it's 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 obviously pretty close. I think you probably have to give them. Uh, you know, I don't want to get start a war here, but you probably have to give the the edge to Pujols. I mean, he's got six hundred some home runs, and also probably a little bit better base runner and things of that nature all around. But obviously, as far as the from a hitting standpoint, I mean, I couldn't tell you who's better. They both great hitters. I think Miguel had more opposite field power than Albert, but I was certainly not saying he was a better hitter, but I think he did have more opposite field power than Albert. Jim, when you look at what those Cardinals teams were, when you were here as a special assistant in the early 2000s, what was it like to be around that club on a day-to-day basis, to be able to help out with whether it be front office or TLR? What was it like to be around that club day-to-day? Well, those guys are the guys really responsible for me going back to managing because I got out like in uh, 99 and uh, and uh, then I started working with the Cardinals. So I went to spring training every year. And after about three or four years, I just, I really appreciated the veteran players they had, the way Tony ran it and, you know, the camaraderie they had in their clubhouse. And it got kind of got my juices flowing again. And uh, they, they were really probably responsible for, for me going back to manage. And that's how much I enjoyed that club. So, they were a great bunch of guys, very professional organization. Of course, Walt Jockety, a great friend of mine and was a great boss for me. I did, you know, I scouted out of Pittsburgh and made some recommendations, but uh, I just enjoyed it. I was kind of a sounding board for Tony. And But those players, uh, they, were, they were great guys and great players. I was uh, told to ask you about the Jim Edmonds deal and if you had a hand in that in terms of recommendation and if you did or didn't. Well, I'm just curious uh, about that deal in particular, which was a franchise-changing deal for the Cardinals. No, I didn't. I didn't have anything to do with that deal. I can tell you this. I did have something to do when they got uh, Jeff Supon and and Reggie Sanders. And, uh, you know, I'm trying to think the relief picture now. Also, we got... Uh, that I recommend those, and I, I was so happy because Supon beat Roger Clements in Game Five or Game Seven one year in the playoffs. So I was really tickled about that, and of course uh, Supon did a good job over there, as did Reggie Sanders. So no, I didn't have anything to do with the Jim Edmonds trade. I'm curious what you saw in Soup because he was kind of a, a guy that uh, would give you five or six and fly, but he was there every fifth day. Uh, he was part of a stabilizing, um, you know, rotation, but yet. When it was the the chips are on the line, man. He had he beat Roger Clemens in Game Seven, and he was the '06 MVP of the NLCS. So, what did you see in Soup that uh, you know gave you that edge to to say, "Hey, go out and get this guy"? Well, I just thought he was a guy that was going to make him. He, you know, he had he had great pitchability. He didn't have overpowering stuff. He had great pitchability, 
and the Cardinals always had a really good defensive ball club, and he threw strikes, and he knew how to pitch backwards. He didn't have to throw a fastball and a fastball count. And I thought he was a good a good National League pitcher. I thought he he, he would be a perfect fit for the Cardinals. Um, you know, I didn't know he was going to do quite as well as he did, but I was really happy about that. I really liked him. He 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 had pitchability, and I always liked that. You know, he could pretty much throw the ball where he wanted to, and uh, you know, he was. I thought he was just a good fit at the time for the Cardinals. Jim, when you look back at that 04 club in particular, that's the the club that I always look back on with the MV3 and all the talent that they had. Did you know in the moment just how special that group was, or did it take a little bit of time for you to be able to reflect back now on the talent that was in that room? No, I, I pretty much knew. You know, when you're a manager, you're, you're around talent all the time. and you, If you don't know, you should know when you have something special. You know, it doesn't take too much to figure it out. But, you know, I knew that. And I was at the World Series that year. Boston swept them in the World Series that year, if I'm not mistaken. But, uh you know, it was just a great bunch of guys and a, and a great team, and, and obviously with a Hall of Fame manager, probably the best manager to ever manage. I, I am uh, very curious about this. Was it uncomfortable? Was it fun um, in 06 when you're matched up with Tony in the World Series? And, and just take the teams out of it. You, that's one of your best friends in life and in baseball, and you're going head-to-head with Tony. I have a picture in my office. It's got you and Tony. You both signed it. You're sitting at home plate after you've been introduced, and you're shaking hands. And I'm thinking, man, what's going through their mind right there? What was that like going head-to-head with Tony in the World Series? Well, I think it was a little bit different, to be honest with you, but I think uh, Tony and I had kind of made a pact before the World Series ever started. I don't think anybody knew about it, but we talked. And the one thing we wanted to make sure was that we, we didn't want the old teacher-pupil thing, and we didn't want the World Series to be about, you know, Tony and me. We wanted it to be about the players, so we downplayed everything from that perspective. And, you know, we knew one of us was going to be happy and one of us was going to have a broken heart. But, you know, we're big boys, and you, you get through all that. But the one thing we didn't want to do, and we really kept it, kept it to a minimum. We didn't want everybody talking about, you know, me being his former coach and all that kind of stuff. We wanted the focus to be on the players where it belonged. And I think we did a good job of kind of sniffing that out. Jim Leland, former Tigers manager is joining us now here on 101 ESPN. Jim, do you have a favorite Miguel Cabrera story, whether it be a moment in a game or a moment that you guys had shared together uh, in, in person? What, was there anything in particular that when you think of Miguel Cabrera, that's the moment that immediately comes to mind for you? I don't think it's one moment. I'd have to say it's one season. I, I, I'd have to say it's 2012 when he won the triple crown. I, I've really never seen anything like that. I've never seen anybody perform like that. Uh, he was a little bit like Joe Torrey when Joe won the batting title in a sense that uh, Miggy never got any infield hits. I mean, every all, all hits he got had to be legitimate hits. He never beat any ground balls out and anything like that. The same thing with Joe Torrey. So, but that season was something magical. I, I've never seen anything like it. I was in the minor leagues playing uh, the last time it had been done, which was 1967, Carly Ostrowski, but I don't remember all that much about it, but to see what Miggy did that year, uh, like I say, in 2012 when he won the Triple Crown, I've never seen anybody have a year like that. Jim, you've had a a fabulous uh, life in baseball, whether it be as a manager or, as we've talked about, special assistant, scout, various teams. You've won a World Series. I am curious about this. What what are you most proud of uh, in your career? Well, I think the fact that I probably – Managed for 20, 22 years and never got fired. I, I think that was 
one thing that I was kind of happy about, although uh, one place I left, probably and they weren't going to fire me there, but I, I did leave one place, which I probably shouldn't have done, but I just, I just couldn't manage in Colorado. I was a pitcher's manager. I just couldn't manage there, but I think to manage that long and not get fired and, you know, to go through all the, the good guys that you met, the good players, I could, you know, I could count on probably less than one hand of players I just didn't care for in 33 years of managing, 11 in the minors and 22 in the majors. That's pretty good. So it was just the camaraderie and the players that you had and maybe just hitting 500, you know, that that's a that's kind of a big deal for me because I was a manager, but I was fortunate enough to manage Gary Sheffield and Barry Bonds. They also have 500 home runs or more. So that's three guys now that I had the pleasure of managing that have hit 500 home runs or more. I also find it interesting, too, that you had some near misses. You know, you, you talk about Detroit, and then I think about the great teams you had in the 90s with Pittsburgh. Not that it's a, a regret, but what's the one that you go, man, that's the one I really wanted and it got away? Well, actually, uh, the two World Series, we just didn't do anything. We just didn't hit it all and everything. But actually, I felt like 2013 was probably the best team that I had for sure at Detroit, and we didn't get there. We got beat in Boston. We had that nightmare game when Ortiz hit the home run. But uh, I thought 13 might have been our best team in Detroit, and we didn't get to the World Series. So that was probably the most disappointing one. You mentioned that you you know have managed these great players, and I'm very good friends with Andy Van Slyke, and you had him as a player, and you had him as a coach. Um, and, and Andy gives you ultimate credit for, for helping him become a, a great major league player. How were you able to tap into guys and understand that, Hey, these are good athletic players, but there's something there. There's something else I can get out of them and make them become the best that they can be. How do you do that? Well, that's your job as a manager and you have to go about it with different players. It takes different tactics. Everybody's not the same. You can't treat everybody the same. You can have you can have some general rules in general that everybody has to abide by, but to, to get the best out of each guy, you got to get to know them individually and, and you, you have to build a relationship with them. And uh, in fact, one of my proudest players, it's funny you mentioned that is Andy Van Slyke for the simple reason that uh, I know Andy was really dejected when he was traded from St. Louis, uh, you know, arguably the greatest franchise in baseball fan wise. So I think he was really dejected. He came over to Pittsburgh. He really didn't even know who I was. I was a minor league guy and he didn't know much about me and, uh, you know, and he was leaving a great place like St. Louis, but you know, I just let things flow. I didn't try to push myself on him. I've always said, I think you're smarter when you try to show people what you know and don't tell people what you know. And I knew Andy came from the Cardinals where they were, you know, very proud organization, very fundamental. So I didn't want to go in there and start talking about everything I knew. I just wanted to earn Danny's respect by going about my business and showing him how I ran things and how I could do things. And it's, it's, it turned out great because he ended up being one of Pittsburgh's most popular players ever. And he actually ended up loving Pittsburgh. He, he absolutely, absolutely loved it. And I'm sure he didn't ever think that was going to happen, but he did. And like I said, he became one of, one of the best pirates of all time. So I'm really proud of that. I thought, I thought we both handled that way and, I love Andy to death. He was a great player, great center fielder, um, you know, great base runner. And, uh, you know, like I said, I, I'm glad that we, we turned that disappointment from being traded to the Cardinals to the Pirates into one positive thing, an all-star player and a great player. 
Jim, last question that I had for you. We, we talked to a lot of baseball people about their influencers and who, who the people were when they were coming up that kind of shared their wealth of knowledge with them. Who were those people for you, Jim, when you were coming up in baseball? Who were the ones that kind of took you under their wing to build you into the manager that you ultimately became? Well, I think Hoot Evers comes to mind. He was our farm director. He was a former major league player, I think an all-American basketball player at Illinois, but later on a farm director after playing in the big leagues. He he was very influential. Bill LaJoy, Ed Catalinas, Wayne Blackburn. Uh, it's funny, uh, another Cardinal, uh, long before I became a Cardinal, I was a Tiger young minor league manager, George Kissel, who was so influential in the Cardinal organization was also influential in my career because when I was just a kid managing in the instructional league or coaching, uh, I would meet with George. He had a trailer in St. In St. Pete and, and he, I would go over to his house and I'd visit with him and we'd talk baseball. He was, he was another guy that was very, very influential in my, in my career. But I think the way I did it, I don't know if it's right or wrong, but what I, I did is I, I always, when I was younger managing starting, I just kept my mouth shut. I listened to all these guys talk all the veteran managers, the veteran minor league guys, big league guys, I'd listen to all of them talk. And then I would, whatever they said that I liked, I tried to put it in my own personality. And whatever they said that I didn't like, I just discarded. So, But I, it, was, it was a lot better listening than talking. Jim, my final question for you, and we'll let you go, and this has been a treat to visit with you. Of the 16 managers who won more games than you, 12 of them are in baseball's Hall of Fame, and there's a couple that are going to the Hall of Fame. Uh, I'm sure you've been asked about it. I don't know if you think about it, but uh, have you thought about the Hall of Fame? Yeah, I'd be lying if I didn't say I haven't. You know, I, I don't I don't know whether I am or not, but I do think without signing sounding like boasting and bragging. I, I do think I should be considered whether I should be in or not. I don't know, but you know, I felt like, you know, I took three of the four franchises to the postseason, and, you know, I'm not going to go into everything, but uh, you know, I, I would like to think that I should be considered whether I should be in or not. That's not up to somebody else. Hey, Jim, thank you so much. I think you deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. I bet it does happen. And and really appreciate your time and coming on. And best of luck uh, with Detroit down the road here. And, uh, again, thanks for coming on. Really appreciate it. No problem. Thank you, guys. You got it. That is uh, Jim Leland. That was awesome. Um, he was great, man, to, to just bounce things off of, listen to. Uh, he would be watching our games when he worked for the Cardinals. So if he was, and he was living in Pittsburgh and then he'd come up to me and say, Hey, you, you know, you said this thing about that, that, and the other, but here's what it probably Tony was. Th- I mean, he was great. That's awesome. He was great. Um, well, let me give you some numbers here, please. Okay. So he's got 1,600, uh, I'm sorry, 1,769 wins, 22 year major league career. That 17th all time, three pennants, one world series. That was with Florida in 97. Then they dismantled the team in 98, went to Colorado for one year. He was sleeping in his office, probably drove him crazy, whatever. Six division titles, three with Pittsburgh, three with Detroit, postseason appearances with, as he mentioned, three different teams. So you had Pittsburgh, Florida, and Detroit. At least 700 wins with two franchises. That's a lot, Pittsburgh and Detroit. Manager of the year three times, runner-up three times. His career winning percentage is 504, um, which doesn't look great, but you have to say that he is one of only 27 to win as many as three pennants. And um, and that's 
I mean, I'm looking at the list right now of like guys that are still eligible to go in the Hall of Fame. So you have Bruce Bochy. He's going to the Hall yep. of Fame. Terry Francona, I think he's going to the Hall of Fame. Um, and for him not to be in there, I, I just I think people are going to have to look very, very hard. You know, like I said, of the 16 managers who won more games than Jim Leland, 12 are in the Hall of Fame. And two more, three more now I'm looking at are probably going in. I could be missing somebody, Dan. You can tell me if I am. But for me growing up, you mentioned two of them were that were managers that were like the guys in baseball. Uh, Boshi, Francona. And then for me, the other guys Tony. are TLR. Mm-hmm. And if you're looking at Jim Leland, he would be the fourth for me. And those those were kind of if you were looking around baseball and you were saying who are the the managers that if they came to your team, you'd be like, holy bleep, we got that guy. Yeah, Th- those would probably be the four. And so for me, that speaks to being a Hall of Famer. Um, and the other thing is just the contributions that he had to the game. He's been a baseball lifer in every possible way. He's served in roles other than just manager. He's been a coach. He's been a scout. He's served now in a capacity under the general manager as a special assistant out in Detroit. He's done a little bit of everything within the game. And he talked about the players that he managed. I think that also has to be taken under consideration. It's yeah. not just that he won games. It's also... Man, how many Hall of Famers or future Hall of Famers did he manage in his time as well? And he got the most out of them. And I think that's a valuable thing to think about as well. How about international competition? Team USA, too. I think he's the only guy to win a World Series and a World Baseball Classic for Team USA, if I'm not mistaken. I think that's right. So, I don't know, man. For me, he's in. I would do it. But that was fun. By the Um, way, he mentioned that 2013 team as being potentially his best. When you look back at some of the names that were on that team and what roles they were serving, so they had Prince Fielder, Johnny Peralta, Miguel Cabrera. We all knew that. Torrey Hunter at the back end of his career. Victor Martinez as well. They had coming off of the bench that year, Jose Iglesias and Nick Castellanos, by the way. And then they had in their rotation. I forgot Castellanos goes back that far with them. It's crazy, right? Yeah. Verlander, Scherzer, Fister, Sanchez. And then in their bullpen, they had Drew Smiley. Wow. Like, what a loaded team that was back in 2013. Who was closing for them? Uh, back in 2013, they had, it was Benoit. Yeah. Um, Joaquin, Joaquin ben, Benoit yeah. was and their if, guy. And, you know, it's if they don't throw the ball around in 06 against the Cardinals, so that gives him a World Series with the Marlins and Detroit, so mm-hmm. that puts him in both leagues. Tony's done that. I, I think that probably puts him in. If he would have won one with Detroit, I think he's probably in. It's stunning to me that team never got one. I think it speaks to how difficult it is to win the World Series that they didn't, but man, they just... It seemed like for a decade they had one Achilles heel and they were never able to solve it. It was their bullpen. They just yeah. never found a way to add that depth into their bullpen for some reason. Well, I always go back to 06. Cardinals win on that fateful night in Gotham. I mean, it was like Gotham. Okay, it was like watching Batman and and they win that great game seven um, against the Mets and, and they come in with momentum. The, you know, you didn't have to sit and they had swept, uh, was it the White Sox or somebody? It doesn't matter, but they, they swept their series and had to sit around for a week. And I, you I know, it was you, A's. It was that's A's who it was. And so you can, you can do simulated games, you can do bullpens, you can do all that stuff. It's just not even close to getting ready to amp it up and say, okay, now you're on the biggest stage and go play in game one. You just can't do yeah. it. And so. for that Cardinals team, it was it was a destiny team. That, it that really was. was. The, the run of the year. Like you just, I, I don't even know, even if the Cardinals hadn't been in the situation where they had just played and the Tigers were coming off of a long layoff. I know that's, that's how we look at it now because that's how it went. 
I think that Cardinals team was just going to win that series. And in game one, they're taking on Verlander. Uh, he mentioned how Cabrera had better opposite field power than Albert. Albert had an, actually an opposite field home run in game one. And uh, Anthony Reyes was awesome. Team of destiny. Weaver comes in. Awesome. And they win the series. It just And they threw it around in St. Louis, and that was it. This is the Danny Mac Show with BK, the podcast powered by I Promise. I like doing this segment of when we go around the major leagues. Gets me ready for the game tonight. I don't know if you like it, BK, but I, I love like it. it, Dan. Okay. Uh, that was awesome, by the way, with Jim Leland. Many thanks to Jim for hopping on, Tanner. Great job getting him. Uh, okay, so we start with this. The Padre, uh, Padres fired their pitching coach, Larry Rothschild, yesterday. There's five weeks left in the season, and you're looking for a scapegoat, so it becomes the pitching coach. It's not his fault a lot of guys have been injured, and it's not his fault that guys have been ineffective. This is eerily similar to when um, I remember the Brewers fired Ned Yost. I think it was like on the 14th or 15th of September, right in the middle of September, in the middle of going for a a division title or postseason play. It, It reeks of desperation when you do something like that. The expectations were unbelievably high this year in San Diego. I was reading a story from uh, one of the beat writers yesterday, Dan, and he brought up, remember the series between the Dodgers and the Padres? I think it was like early May, maybe late April, something like that. And I was like, oh my God, these teams are just playing a different sport than everybody else right now. It looked like it was going to be the next great rivalry in the sport of baseball. And they, the games were so exhausting that some of the players talked about afterwards how it just drained them for like the next week. And now you look at where the Padres are, and they're 13 games back of the Giants. The players are publicly stating now, yeah, the the division's probably over. We're in this for the wild card now. They're a game back of the Reds for the wild card. And I think this is where a move like this comes in. You're desperate, and you're looking for something to change the vibe in that clubhouse. Obviously, this is not something that was deserved. It's crazy to me that they fired the pitching coach when everybody's just hurt. That's why you are where you are right now. But they needed somebody. They needed to change something, and that's where they ultimately landed. Absolutely. Uh, Yankees, the reliever, Zach Britton, suffers an injury setback. They have had all kinds of COVID issues, injuries, whatnot, so he lands on the 10-day IL. Marlins number two prospect, Edward Cabrera, to make his Major League debut Wednesday night against the Nationals. I think he was a top 30 uh, prospect in all of baseball. Travis Shaw and the Red Sox, they picked up a big win at Fenway. 3-2 coming. Swing a high fly ball. This game is over. Slam it. Deep to right. Travis Shaw, talk about a walk-off piece, the ultimate walk-off. Eck with a walk-off piece. I love it. Listening to that game on MLB TV yesterday, they were the national game. Fun listen with Dennis Eckersley. The Cubs and their franchise worst 13-game home losing skid. 3-2, runner goes. That's drilled. High and deep right field. Blackman back. Walk it off. Raphael. Been a tough year, obviously, after the trades for the Cubs. They're 14 and a half out. They've won three of their last 10. They're 55 and 72. And we'll finish it up with the game of the night. It was the first time since 1901 that two teams entered a game with a nine-game winning streak. The Yankees at the Braves. And Giancarlo Stanton was ready for it. That one is drilled to right field and deep. Fair ball. It's gone. 
God, see ya! Opposite field home run for Stanton, and the Yankees lead 1-0. That one is ripped to left field. It is a base hit, and it goes up against the wall. Scoring easily is LeMayu. Here comes Gallo. He will score. It's a two-run double for Stanton, and it gives the Yankees a 3-1 to one lead. Yankees are now 73-52, and they, along with Boston, if it ended today, would be in. Boston wins. They're two and a half back of the Yankees for the top spot in the AL wildcard, and Oakland is one out. Seattle Seattle's still hanging in there, three, three out, and then Toronto, four and a half out. And uh, we finished up the program. We're going to have one really good team in both leagues that ends up missing the postseason. I think that whether it's the Reds or the Padres, one of those two is going to miss it. And that team, whichever one it is, is going to be a team that is deserving of making the playoffs. And it's the same thing in the American League. A's, Red Sox, one of those two likely going to miss the postseason. Both of them have been really good teams this year, and both are deserving. Looking forward to your show. What do you have coming up? Looking forward to it, Dan. I'm flying solo with Tanner Hendrickson for the first hour. We've got Jeremy Rutherford hopping in studio for the 12 o'clock, the first half of the 12 o'clock hour. And then coming up at 1 o'clock, there's some big news in college football today. There's a new alliance between the Big Ten, the ACC, and the Pac-12. What exactly does that mean? We'll talk to Adam Rittenberg of ESPN.com about that at one o'clock, but we will open things up sticking with what we were just talking about, Dan, the Cardinals and the Padres. They ended up having the same fatal flaw this season, and it all dates back for the Cardinals to that June. Are they going to be able to overcome it, or will the Padres be the team that ends up overcoming that? Looking forward to that. So for BK Tanner, I'm Danny Mack. We'll talk to you tomorrow at 10 on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to The Danny Mac Show with BK, the podcast powered by I Promise. Peloton, let's go. This holiday, with the right music and the right motivation from world-class instructors. We're going to pick it up a notch. It's the holiday season. You might just surprise yourself with what you're capable of. Work out to thousands of live and on-demand classes, from running to cycling to yoga. Try Peloton risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only, not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. Peloton, motivation that moves you.